Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Allen, and we're glad that you joined us. We are in a series called Guardrails, and today's topic is Forever Yours. So quickly, we'll do a review of this concept we're using, uh, analogy we're using of guardrails as it applies to our personal lives. So the definition is guardrails is a design, a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. We all understand that in a car. Guardrails are on dangerous curves or bridges so we can't get in danger. Guardrails direct, direct and protect. Direct us, stay on the road and protect us from going off the road. They also promote preventive living. As we apply these principles to our lives, it prevents us from getting into danger rather than dealing with the danger that we're already in. They're not placed in the danger zone, but in the safety zone, and that's critical. So, you have your danger, you step back from that to a guardrail, and then you step back from that where you, you live your life. So, if you hit a guardrail, you're still not into the danger zone. And so, this is the critical concept here we're trying to encourage everyone to have in their lives. Um, so, consequently, they're designed to minimize damage. So, even if you hit a guardrail, it's not the same kind of damage you're going to get if you go through the guardrail or past a guardrail, whether it's in your finances or in your uh, morality, we're going to talk about today, in your relationships, in your health, whatever area it might be. And uh, so, consequently, highway's not the only place we need guardrails. We talked about uh, the consumption of alcohol in week one. We talked about relationships last week. And today we're going to zero in on a specific relationship. Now, here's a big problem. In our culture, they, the culture, does not encourage guardrails. In fact, just the opposite, especially in the area we'll talk about today. So, consequently, you have to do it on your own. Nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody's even going to encourage you to do it. Culture just is kind of content with some general guidelines like drink responsibly, uh, which most people <laughs> have trouble figuring out. So here's our definition. A guardrail is a standard of personal behavior. That means it's personal for every, each person. It's different for each person. So I have a standard, you have a standard of personal behavior, guidelines that become a matter of conscience, meaning, okay, when I get close to that, my conscience starts to bother me. Another way of saying it is this, uneasy early. <laughs> so, uh, I said last week, you know, if my guideline is one beer, not two. After I drink that first one and I'm offered the second one, uh, I start to get uncomfortable. I'm way away from danger, um, hopefully. Um, so, uneasy early is the goal of guardrails. Now, last week we talked about friends and associates. Today, we want to talk about friends with benefits. Now, when I used that term once in a, in a message before, a young adult said, I didn't know the pastor knew that term. Well, I know that term, all right, uh, what it means. <clears throat> We're going to talk about people that are in a committed relationship. It may be a long-term relationship, uh, engaged relationship, obviously a married relationship. So, we're going to talk about how to guard guardrail, how to guard, we're going to use the word fidelity of that relationship. We could use faithfulness of that relationship, a loyalty in that relationship. Now, before we go any farther, I want us all confess, we're all complicit in this area. And let me explain what I mean. 
Think about your entertainment, whether it's the books you read, the TV you watch, the music you listen to, and all those areas which you and I listen to does not encourage fidelity, does it? In fact, it encourages just the opposite. And so we're all complicit, so let's all confess that, you know, we watch stuff we shouldn't watch, we read stuff we sh- and listen to stuff we shouldn't listen to. I'll give you a personal example. <laughs> I watch, I like British TV, and so on PBS mostly, uh, they have British shows. I like uh, detective or cop shows. So I've been watching this cop show for years now on PBS, and uh, <clears throat> one of the reasons I like it is it's kind of clean, meaning there's not a lot of bad language. There's no nudity, there's not much, uh, I don't think there's any sex, you don't show any sex. And so it's pretty clean. <clears throat> it takes place in the 50s, so the morality seems to be a little bit better than today. And the sidekick to the main detective is a priest, not a Catholic priest, I think an Anglican priest. And so a couple of weeks ago, he's dating this girl and they got kind of hot and heavy and he stopped it. And he was upset and she was upset, but you know, they... they they kept, <laughs> uh, they had a guardrail, they, they drew the line. But in this last episode of the season, he's gotten this angst about his sexuality and he winds up in bed with, not his girlfriend, another lady. And they're laying in bed in the morning and he, she's smiling, he's smiling, and she says, how are you feeling? He says, good. Now I'm hoping that next season he's going to have some issues, theological and moral issues with this. But the lesson was that staying sexually pure was causing this guy all kind of frustration and turmoil, but now that he's had sex with this lady, his life is good. So that's just something I watched this week. So we're all complicit in this area. If we, if our society could just get this one thing right, it's a biggie, I understand, there'd be so much less divorce, so much less heartache, so much less uh, unwanted pregnancies, so much, uh, so fewer children in poverty, so fewer children growing up in single parent homes. Uh, The list is almost endless if we could just get this one area right. Now, if you're God, and you wanted to write on this area of human sexuality and, and fidelity and relationships, what do you think you would write? Just think about that for a second. Would you write, ah, oh, just have sex when you think you're mature enough to have it? And have sex with whoever you feel like having sex with. Do you think that's what you would write? <laughs> I don't think so. Because God created us. He designed us. He knows what's best for us. And obviously, fidelity is what's best for us. Um, Think about it this way. Those of you that are in a committed relationship, what do you want for the other person to do? Be faithful or not? If you're a parent of a child and they're in a committed relationship, do you want them to be faithful and their spouse or the other person to be faithful or not? If you've got grandkids like I do, and I don't think any of them is that place yet <laughs> that I'm aware of. Uh, but when they get to that place, do I, I want them to be faithful in that relationship or not? Of course we do. So we want it for all the people that we care about it. We certainly should want it for ourselves. 
So we're going to read something that Paul wrote. It's interesting because Paul was a Jew, but his ministry, uh, he was a missionary to people that weren't Jewish, which means he was in the Roman and Greek culture. And maybe worse than our culture today, they did not have guardrails in this area. In fact, they had an area that I don't think we have uh, even today, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So this is in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul established this church. He probably taught some some of this, this stuff. And now he's writing a letter to remind the ones that he taught and to inform the people, maybe the new people, that the church has. Now, this is not a series about sexuality. It's a series about guardrails. We're just going to talk about sexuality this one week. So, beginning in verse 12. Now, this, if you're not involved in one of these type of relationships, this part's important because it's a basic guardrail principle that applies to all of us in all areas of life. You say, people that are responding to Paul, I'm allowed to do anything. Now, this is a misapplication of a spiritual principle of Christianity. Um, we have tremendous freedom in Christianity. We have freedom from the penalty of our sin. Um, we get freedom from the power of sin. You and I don't have to sin. People that aren't Jesus followers are basically slaves to sin. Uh, one day we're going to be delivered from the presence of sin. We're going to be in heaven or a new, he new heaven and a new earth, and uh, it's all going to be, you know, bliss. It's going to be fantastic. We have this freedom to understand what life is truly about and enjoy all of God's creatives. We have all these freedoms. The problem is if we abuse this freedom, and, and so that's the misapplication here. So Paul has given some guardrail or guidelines. They said not everything is good for you. Okay, yeah, you can do all these things, but a, a better guardrail is, or a guardrail is, is it good for me? He said, I'm allowed to do anything, but I must not become a slave to anything. So, it's more than just not what's good for you, because some things become, we become slave to. Alcohol is an easy, or drugs, an easy thing to, to, to think about. We can become slave to food. We can become slave to exercise. We can become slave to uh, money and the things money can buy, lots of things. So he said, okay, you're allowed to do a lot of things, but not everything's good for you, especially things that bring you into slavery. Uh, he repeats it, repeats it in the same letter later on. He says, you say you're allowed to do anything, not everything's good for you. I'm allowed to do anything, not everything is beneficial. Okay, so a guardrail you can have about any area of life. Is this benefiting me? Is it benefiting the people I care about? That's a good guardrail. But even bigger than that is really it's not about you. Christianity is not about you. Ultimately, it's about God and others. So he says, don't be concerned about your own good. I mean, you are, but not primarily, but about the good of others. So, okay, I'm allowed to do this, but is it good for others? Am I with an alcoholic? Am I going to drink around them? Not if I'm abiding by this guideline because that's not good for others, not good for them. And you can make that application in lots of areas of life. So, two words here, sensitivity to the other person and graciousness. Okay, yeah, I should be able to drink, but I'm going to be gracious to you. I am not going to. 
because it, it would be a stumbling block to you. We use that word stumbling block in Christianity. All right, so then he gets into the area we're talking about this morning, sexuality. Next verse he says, but you can't say that our bodies are made for sexual immorality. Well, some people would say that, but he said you can't. Now, he's going to explain why you can't, we can't. Um, they were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And, uh, sometimes we think of Christianity being a, simply or mostly a spiritual thing. No, 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 no. Christianity is as much a physical thing as a spiritual thing. I'm, I mentioned eventually we're going to, there's going to be a new earth. <laughs> We're going to continue to be physical into eternity. In fact, Christianity is based on the incarnation, which is the fact that God sent His Son, who is a spiritual being, in the form of a body, Jesus, to come to earth to suffer and die for you and I. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So that's the basis of Christianity. So he's saying, and we need to understand, there's a strong link between the physical and the spiritual. And it has the power, the physical has the power to destroy us both physically, or sexuality has the power to destroy us physically as well as spiritually. He goes on, he says, don't you realize or don't you know, or don't you remember, for new people, don't you need you to understand that our bodies are actually part of Christ. Now, this is a teaching of Christianity that the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us <laughs> uh, as believers. So he says, should a man or a person take this body that is part of Christ and join it to a prostitute? Of course, of course the answer is never. Now, we think of prostitution in a way, one way today. We're going to see in Paul's time, in Paul's world, in the Greek and Roman world, it ha took on even greater significance of wrong. He goes on again and says, don't you realize <laughs> That if a man joins himself or a person joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. So there's this concept that in sexuality, two become one. Two are united into one. Way back talking about Adam and Eve. And so there's not only a physical uh, joining, there is uh, something uh, psychological, emotional, we would say spiritual joining. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So I'm already one spirit with, with the Lord. So it's something way greater than just physical. Now, the world will try and teach you, yeah, sex is just a physical thing. No, for animals maybe, but for human beings, no. And we'll, we'll talk about it here in a moment and kind of prove it. So what do you do? What do you and I do? And here he says, as clearly and as powerfully as he can, run from sexual sin. Flee from sexual sin. Again, what do you want your spouse to do or that significant other person to do when they're tempted sexually? What do you want them to do? You want them to run. So if what's good for them should be good for you. That's what they want you to do, to run from it. Uh, so we have this option, flee or flirt. Now, the problem is flirting's fun, isn't it? I remember flirting with my wife when we were dating. That was fun. We still flirt with each other. That's fun. But when you get to a guardrail, then flirting becomes dangerous. So how often or in what relationships are you going to flirt? Now, before I go any further, God is not a prude. We believe God created sex, actually. It's a wonderful gift He gave to us within His guidelines. 
very powerful for good, also very powerful for damage in our lives. So, run as fast as you can, so to speak. And he goes on to explain why. He says, no other sin is like this sin. Let me explain to you what he means. Um, I blow up my finances, which would be a sin in a spiritual sense. So I blow up my finances. I can file bankruptcy. Ten years later, I might be a millionaire, a multimillionaire. I had completely recovered from that. Can you do that with sexual sin? Nah. Uh, you can be forgiven of it. You can be forgiven of anything. But do you ever completely recover from sexual sin? No. When you had that joining, you can't recover from that if it's outside of, of God's guidelines. And there's always consequences, unwanted pregnancies, horribly sometimes abortions, uh, the pain and suffering it causes in that relationship. Uh, we call those scars, relationship scars. You never completely recover from this sin. It goes on. So no, no other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, let me define sin for you. We define it this way. It's hurting or stealing or dishonoring another person. That's the way God or God. Hurting, stealing, or dishonoring God or another person. Now, why is it sin to dishonor another person? Because every person you and I sin against is a child of God, a creation of God, someone God's love. And I've used this illustration before. You can say something about me, and that's okay. But if you attack my kids, you and I have a problem. I'm not so easily going to forgive that issue. And so God has a problem when you and I attack one of His children, when we hurt, steal, or dishonor one of His children. Um, we call this the platinum rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you want them to do to you. The platinum rule is do unto others the way God has treated you. And how has God treated you? With Unconditional love, extravagant love, extraordinary love, we, we don't even have the words to explain it. And so that's the way you and I are supposed to treat other people, and in this case, especially in, in the realm of sexuality. Again, God isn't against sin, uh, sex, he doesn't, but outside those boundaries, it's considered a sin because it hurts other people. Not only other people, it hurts you. So he's saying it needs to be exclusive. Then he goes on, don't you realize, don't you understand, if you didn't before, I'm trying to tell you. If you only knew, if you only knew what? You realize that your body, again, this is the, the body is critical in, in Christianity. <laughs> we all have bodies, we live in bodies. Don't you realize that your body is, and he uses an unusual word here, a temple. A temple. Now, we don't use the term temple these days very often. We talk about the Jewish temple uh, back 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> we have a neighbor that was just working on the Mormon temple down in, near D.C. Took some pictures. One's supposed to. We took some pictures of the inside and showed them to us. So, that was kind of cool. So, so, what is a temple? Well, is a temple supposed to be a place where you can get closer to God, or it's easier to get to God, or God's there in a special way. 
Uh, we don't believe that about our building, but you know, that's the, the idea, that God dwells there. So he said, don't you realize that your body is a temple? That means a place that God dwells. He goes on and calls it the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God. We believe that happens at, at the point of uh, salvation or becoming a Jesus follower. So I don't know if you notice this, but he's, going, he's shifting his focus from the consequences of sexual sin or immorality to our identity, our identity in Christ. Now, you need to understand, he's writing in Corinth, and Corinth and at, at this time in Corinth was a temple to the goddess of love, we call, they called her, Aphrodite. You've probably heard of her. But here's a, a picture of what they think the temple looked like. And here's what the ruins look like. Pretty impressive, right? Even the ruins. Now, at its height, this temple had a thousand temple prostitutes, male and female which meant that sex with these prostitutes was part of worship. It's kind of bizarre for us to think of in our culture to think about this. But sex with prostitutes was part of worship for them. So this is not just a sexual sin of prostitution. This is a, a sin of idolatry. And we kind of even miss that. So he's saying that you and I are sacred image bearers. We bear a, something sacred, the Spirit of God, and so we are image bearers. So, in this body, we are designed for intimacy. We are designed for intimacy with God, and we are designed with intimacy with other people. So, why is this such a big deal? This is a big deal because the value of a container is determined by what it contains. I'll give you a simple illustration. Somebody comes up to me and robs me and says, I want your wallet. So I give him my wallet and he said, oh, hands me my credit cards back, hands me my money back. I don't have any pictures in here, but if I had pictures. No, I just want your wallet. We would say, this guy's crazy, right? <laughs> my wallet's not worth anything. Uh, it's the contents that have value. And so that's what <laughs> Paul is trying to get us to understand. Our, of course, in our case, our bodies have value, but the, the greatest value is what it contains. In our case, our souls, and of course, the Spirit of God, if you're a Jesus follower. So, he goes on to explain a little bit more about this identity thing. He says, you do not belong to yourself. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you can ignore this part. We're glad you're listening. But as a Jesus follower, you don't, you, you don't own, own you. You don't belong to you. And you should be glad you don't. And let me explain why. Because ownership also determines value. Now, this illustration from my son, who's the guitar player, my youngest son, Jared. In 2014, a Stratocaster guitar was bought for $1,800. Two years later, in 2016, it was sold for $48,000. How is that possible? Well, because of who bought that guitar. A guy by the name of Eric Clapton bought that guitar. He actually signed that guitar. And so now that guitar is worth 48, well, it's probably worth twice that much. It's probably worth 90. And when he dies, it'll probably double again in value, right? Same guitar. 
if my son owned it or I owned it, it wouldn't be worth any more than $1,800. Well, he might become famous one day, who knows, right? <laughs> so, ownership determines value. So, he goes on and says, you don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Not $45,000, but the price of his son's life. You can't put a value on that. That's how much you and I are worth. So, he's saying, okay, dealing with your own selfishness and dealing with your identity, the value you have, what are you and I supposed to do? He said, so, or therefore, you and I must honor God with our bodies and sexual immorality, sexual sin does not honor God, our bodies, or the other person. So, this is the New Testament sexual ethic. It's not our culture's sexual ethic, but this is a New Testament one, who sees everybody as an image bearer of God and of great value, and it's sin to hurt or harm or steal from that other person. So consequently, this running from sexual temptation requires guardrails. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. You're going to keep flirting until you cross the guard, uh, where the guardrail should be until you enter the danger zone. So I'm going to give you some suggestions. If you don't like my suggestions, that's fine. Please create guardrails in this area. Create your own. So three quickly, three of them. First, talk about it. So you're in this uh, relationship with another person. Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you're engaged. I don't know. And when I do premarital counseling, I tell people, talk about your guardrails. We talked about the um, Billy Graham rule. Is that going to be part of your guardrails as, as a couple? Um, are you going to let your future spouse or the other person, or if you're married, go out have, on, ha, being alone with the person of the other sex, having a meal with the person, traveling with the person of the other sex? Maybe you're okay with that. I don't, you determine what that guardrail is. Uh, my wife and I, a long time ago, established the <laughs> Billy Graham rule for my safety and other people's safety. Won't be alone with a, a, a you know, a female, um, other than family members, of course. So, what are you comfortable with? Talk about it. Talk about your sexual history. That's really important to those you're getting, uh, getting married one day. <laughs> I'm always surprised, but some couples don't talk about it. They come to me, and they're getting ready to get married. I had one couple, I asked them, how many kids are you going to have? And they looked at each other. They hadn't talked about how many children, they, if they want to have children, how many children are you going to have? How do you get to that place without talking about that? But they did. Anyway. Another issue is pro pro problematic. I can't say that word. People. What do I mean by that? People that are pro problematic to you. These are people that you go out of your way to spend time with when you don't need to. Maybe at work. You don't need to go this way. You could get just as well go this way, but that person's over here. What am I saying? This person that you be getting your uh, 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 attention is that you're getting attracted to. All right. The fastest way to stop that is to tell your significant other about it. You know, there's this, this gal at church that kind of caught my eye. I think she's kind of cute. I'm just sharing that with you so that it won't go any farther than that. 
And I'll guarantee you that other person's going to ask you about that in the future, right? Um, so, secondly, is tell them about it. Tell them about those attractions. See, there's no other area. Why this is so powerful? There's no other area that you and I hesitate to tell our significant other about. There's no other area that, that tends to make us want to lie or to keep secrets. And I love the expression, you're only as sick as your secrets, right? Uh, counseling, don't counsel people because we, we, intimacy happens by spending time together, even in the, especially in the counseling situation because we're trying to help the other person and if we become helpful to that other person, <laughs> that a person is attracted to us. So be very careful, careful about your counseling situations even if they're friends, uh, etc. In fact, you may have to hurt their feelings. But hurt feelings are like minimal damage, right? <laughs> hurt feelings are a lot better than stepping across the line, right? Minimal damage. And then if you, sometimes it's not wise to tell that your spouse or that significant other because you're going to cause them harm that's not necessary. So, especially maybe if, you know, you, you had a lustful thought about another person, probably not a good idea maybe to tell my wife about it because she's going to have a different feeling about that other person. But tell somebody. Talk about accountability partners. Find somebody to tell because once you tell them, then you're less likely to pursue it because that person, that partner is going to say, hey, how are you doing that area? You, you, you keeping your distance? Just talking about it diffuses the appeal of it, the pull of it. Now, I want to say something to you ladies especially. When I talk about the Billy Graham rule, you might get the impression that I'm saying that women are the problem. No, 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 no. And I talked about this before. Men are the problem. We're cavemen. All right? Look at the news. How often do we see men getting accused of sexual harassment and other things, and how often is it women? I don't know, 10 to 1, 100 to 1, I don't know. So ladies, men are the, the biggest part of the problem here, and I'm one, so I don't know. <clears throat> how do you protect your fidelity? That's what we're talking about, really. Because in your good moments, you, you, you would say, yeah, I want to be faithful to this relationship. One other issue, and then I'll close. Social media. Social media could be a good thing, but in this area, it's probably one of the most dangerous things. People establish relationships or attachments to people they haven't even met yet. Uh, sometimes it's people, it, it's fantasized. It's not real. And some of it is people that they knew 20, 30, 40, went to high school with, you know, way back when. Sometimes it's good. Their spouses, both people's spouses have died and they've reconnected. I'm not saying it's all bad. But be very careful in this area of social media. So the point of guardrails is to light up our conscience before we hurt ourselves or others. We're always drifting. I think about this on the highway. I wish they had these back when I was going to school because I'd get sleepy when I was driving to school. But nowadays we have these little bumpy things in the middle of the road and on the, on the side of the road, right? So when you start drifting, it's easy, it's easy to 
to, to get woken back up or to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm drifting. I'm drifting to the center line. I'm drifting to the side. So that's what guardrail, you know, that's before you even hit the guardrail. That's an extra guardrail we have driving, right? <laughs> so, <clears throat> have a, well, I don't even know what they call these bumps. I don't know who invented them. Great, greatest invention. Uh, guardrails in this area keep you from hurting others and yourself. And just one other thing. Pastor, this seems so extreme. Maybe it does, especially in our culture. Let me just say this about it. Dangerous environments call for extreme measures. Would you agree? All right, if you're driving through, a, riding in a boat with a bunch of crocodiles around, are you going to drag your fingers through the water? Oh, in that extreme, keep your hand in the boat? No. Dangerous environments call for extreme measures. Nothing is as powerful or as dangerous as our sexuality, or as a, big a blessing. So if you're married, let me ask you, where do you get support for fidelity in our culture? I couldn't think of any place. Maybe there is, but I couldn't think of any place. I mean, outside of church. <laughs> Singles, where do you get encouraged to be faithful or to keep sexually pure? Any place? Again, outside of church, I can't think of anything. Hopefully you have guardrails in this place or you're going to institute guardrails in this place. And let me ask you, five years from now, do you think you're going to regret having guardrails in this area? If you don't, I can almost guarantee you, you'll regret not doing it. Your choice, flee or float. Fleeing honors God honors you, and honors people that you care about. What do you want to be part of your story? I don't know how long I'm, I'm going to live. I don't know how long my wife's going to live. Been, we've been together 44 years of dating. Uh, hopefully it's going to be 60, who knows how many years. And on my deathbed or her deathbed, I hope we can both say, yes. I've been faithful to my wife, my husband, all those years. Don't you want that to be your story? I pray that you do. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. We thank you for this wonderful area of sexuality. Oh, one of your greatest inventions. <laughs> it's wonderful in marriage. It draws us closer together, helps keep us together. Um, but God, it's so powerful and used in the wrong way. It's like atomic energy used great when it's used in the right way, can be so destructive used in the wrong way. So God, whoever has heard this, I just pray that they take this seriously, that they understand that they institute, if they have, don't have guardrails, they institute these guardrails, um, then they have the, the courage and the strength and the discipline to stick to the guardrails, that their conscience, when their conscience lights up, they stop flirting, and they flee. God, we need your help in this area. As I said, it's so powerful. And if you're not a Jesus follower, we would pray that today would be the day you would accept this wonderful gift, this wonderful freedom that you have, and also the understanding of the purpose and meaning of life. And you have an intimate relationship with God that goes on for eternity. 
our world, our culture would say, ah, you can't have any fun. Like that uh, priest in that uh, detective story, you know, it's only in sex outside of marriage can you be really happy. No, 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 no. It's just such a lie, God, a lie of Satan. Help us understand that. And people that stepped across that line and now regret it, understand it. So wherever we are in this area, God, help us to be in the right place, the healthy place, the loving place, the caring place. And we ask it not only for your honor and glory, but for those that we care about. And we thank you in Jesus' name.